We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 152 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. It is Wednesday night, 20th of June, 2018. Only 14 more sleeps till our third anniversary, Mm. Velvet Glove. Scott, you're looking well. I'm well, thank you very much, Trevor. And I'm just currently enjoying a James Squire beer, so it's uh, very nice to sit here with you two, having a beer and having a chat. Oh, and such talk con- man's here as well. Such contentment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am content, yes. Good for you. Hopefully yeah. our listeners will be as content. Welcome aboard, 12th man, as always. Thank you. I've, I'm fired up with World Cup fever at the moment. <laughs> right. So the cricket, analo- the cricket analogy in the... In the nickname, it just doesn't feel like a good fit at the moment, I have to say. You're actually watching the the football slash soccer. I am watching the football slash soccer. Yes, I quite enjoy the World Cup. Can I mount an argument that... Against watching the World Cup. I'm going to call it soccer, just so that we don't get confused. I don't mind calling it soccer. And it's a very un-Australian game. Oh, Soccer. Hell. It's it, a British game, just like most of the other games we play in this beautiful no, no, country. In its, in its modern incarnation, it's very un-Australian. And how so? Here's how so. Got two guys are running down the field, you know, chasing the ball. One trips over his own feet, but does twenty somersaults and rides in pain, clutching his knee, claiming the other guy has struck him. The, the carrying on. The overacting of having been hurt by their opponent is just rife in that game. The, the acting is terrible. It's a blight on the game. Oh, fist. It stops me from watching. Fist. Honestly. In, in, let me finish. In an Australian game, such as rugby league or uh, AFL, players take pride in saying, well, that didn't hurt me. You know, like it's... It's that sort of ethos, whereas in soccer it's yeah. playing up to the referee, hoping to get a penalty and exaggerating things that just never even happened. It's terrible. How can you say that it never happened? You weren't there in that. You can see that, the replays. You see the slow motion. Body. You see the slow motion replays. You weren't and- there in the diver's body feeling that intense pain, that searing pain that he gets. From that little tap on the shoulder. Yeah, well, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes when you're watching it, you can tell that there isn't even a tap on the shoulder. Like you can see, they completely miss. Where's your appreciation of theatre? Yeah. Well, I'll go to the theatre to watch acting. They're actors, right? And I'll on go the to stage. And when I'm watching a sporting event, I don't want to see acting. I want to see sport. <laughs> there you go. That's an iron fist opinion on oh, soccer. Oh, dear. So. It's a bit, bit, bit harsh. Yeah, I haven't um, watched any of it. I mean, um, I did hear that Australia only narrowly went down to the French, did they? 2-1. 2-1, yeah. Mm. Which is places us in a reasonable position. No, it doesn't. It places us in a bad position and really Australia needs to win the next two matches or they're gone. I I, want to create a demarcation line here. Uh, When it comes to Eurovision, Scott, you're in charge. When it comes to World Cup soccer, 12th man, you're in charge. Happily accepted. (laughs) (laughs) 
Right. Now, as usual, dear listener, well, actually, if you're joining us for the first time, we don't normally start with a sporting topic. Um, Perhaps we should incorporate it. Well, we'll see. It's <laughs> a if, regular feature. If you are listening for the first time, this is an Australian podcast which looks at news, politics, culture, ethics and transformations taking place in our society we might well be cataloguing the demise of civilization, but we try to have fun while doing so. And we are particularly obsessed with the role of religion in our society. And it's my personal opinion that religions are dangerous and they are influential, far more so than people realise. And one of our major aims is to keep tabs of what they're up to. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, sit back and relax while we review the last seven days. And we've already done the soccer and... Dear listener, we prepare, you know, a bunch of, you know, a dozen, 15 topics to talk about. And invariably, before the boys arrive, Donald Trump's done something to spoil the whole <laughs> show and, and jump straight to the top of the queue. And he's done it yet again. So at this time in the history of the planet, he has decided that uh, any Mexicans crossing the border are going to, uh, the parents are going to be separated from the children. The children are going to be put into... Well, detention centres, mm. which in one case is a converted Walmart, which has just got these cages set up, and it's pretty darn ugly what's been happening, and it's, it's, un, it's shameless. He's blaming the Democrats for it, <laughs> and it's just another nail in the coffin of any thought of decency in American politics. So Even his wife has come out and... Um, voiced her dismay. Mm. So, look, dear listener, the three of us, we tend to um, agree with each other all the time, which is a problem. <laughs> so I, I just suggested prior to the start that one of us, you know, we should take turns at playing devil's advocate in this in these topics. And I'll put my hand up, I'll play... Dear listener, I think it's appalling what he's done. Just for the purposes of a debate, I'm prepared to take the Donald Trump side. So by no means ascribe what I'm about to say to my actual well-held personal beliefs. But anyway, um, well, these are criminals crossing the border and uh, they're using using, breaking an immigration law. So they've got no right to be in America. And yeah, they're but, taking kids with them. So does that mean that, you know, you you bring a kid with you and you just suddenly exempt from laws of the land? No, it doesn't. But what it means is you, you incarcerate them all together. You keep the family group together. Mm. Exactly the same way when we incarcerate people on our offshore concentration camps, we keep them behind the razor wire together. Now, that has led to complaints. So, so our concentration camps are a much more humane version. Exactly, because they're, they're, everyone's together. <laughs> right. Yeah, because that, that is, the, been the, that is right. the most heartbreaking thing about the video footage that we've seen and the terrible audio footage that the ABC got hold of. The kids mm. are wailing. They're agony. They're mm. in agony because they've been separated from their parents. Mm. Well, they're in emotional distress, but they're physically they're fine. Physically they're, being well they're fed fine. And, and so... You know, they're probably better fed than they were back, you know. Absolutely, they were. I thought you were going to say something like that. They probably are better fed behind right. the barbed wire than what they were before they got behind the barbed wire. Right. But I still think that if you're going to put people behind barbed wire, you're better off if you got them there with mum and dad. The kids will still be looking 
bemused, I suppose. They won't understand what's going on, but at least they won't be wailing because their mum and dad will be with them. Do they have PlayStation? That's what I want to know. Mm, they do. Oh, yeah. Then they're, they're probably better off than they were south of the border. Hang on, I'm mm. devil's advocate, not you. <laughs> Sorry. You're yeah, supposed they, to be disagreeing with me. They probably are better oh, off. You're heartless. They probably you're, are. you're supposed to be disagreeing with me as well. What are you doing? You're not some no, they, gentlemen. They you're not supposed to agree no, with me. I am not agreeing with you. you. I'm you, saying you. that they should be locked up together. Because then you can still improve their lives by keeping them locked up, but they're going to be together. And that is where, that's where I think the main problem is that you've, you know, you haven't, you have separated kids from their parents. And I think that's where it's criminal. Children are separated from their um, criminal parents every day of the week. Absolutely, they are. But that is after so, that's after a court has ordered. And this is the thing that one of the I think it was Huckabee Sanders, wasn't it? Wasn't it? She was saying that um, you know children get separated from their parents all the time in the criminal justice system. They do, but that is after they've witnessed them going to court, after they've witnessed them being found guilty, and after they've witnessed them being sentenced. Well, so that people, is the difference. People get uh, charged and thrown in jail or pending bail, separated mm-hmm. from their children. Mm-hmm. But then at least after that they can see the cops have arrested them. They've got some – there is something that links them, their parents being taken away from them, mm. you know. Not sure that makes it any easier for the kids, but – it probably doesn't, but it's, it's got to be a hell of a lot. It's got to be a lot easier for them to understand. You know, obeying obeying the law of the land is biblical, Scott. <laughs> I believe there's a passage in Romans. <laughs> so, you know, uh, uh, merely is it also following Islamic is what I want. This is know. Christian. What is happening here? It's Christian to obey the law of the land, and you know, a deterrent's got to be provided here. So that, that'll stop. We'll stop the um, sure a little bit of discomfort for a small group will mean that ultimately lots won't come. So that'll put a, a full stop, a break on what's happening. So, you know, the discomfort of a few for the greater good of the many. Well, that's the logic of our detention centres, our offshore detention centres. Absolutely. And I, mm-hmm. you know, that is. Stop it, agreeing with me, guys. No, I, <clears throat> I tend to agree with you on that point. <laughs> However, I do think that you can still send out that message if you lock the families up together. Well, that's what they were doing before, presumably. I don't know. I couldn't I think, tell you what I was think, happening before. This is only I just think, blowing up. So is this just a recent change in To separate in the procedure. children from the parents mm. is the new... Mm. It's a change in policy. It's, uh, and Trump is maintaining that the laws were there in the Democrats' time, and that, but they weren't being followed. Yeah, I think Trump is big-noting himself because he wants the Congress to pass two lots of immigration reform. And I think that Trump is actually saying this is what the flaws are in the current law, therefore we've got to replace it with a new set of laws. He's just pandering to his xenophobic Absolutely, yes. Yeah. That's all he's doing, who, who are in the same mind as him. Mm, I agree. I think Trump makes it up as he goes along, doesn't mm, he? And right. and look, what worries me, you know, among many other things about Trump's um, tenure is he's, I think he's being played not only by uh, Kim of North Korea, I think he's being played by the conservative Christians of the Republican Party. No, I think they're using no, him as he's, a... He's played them. I 
don't see it that way. I really think they, he they, is being played. They got him into power. Exactly. So, so he's so, he's their man. So he played them and said, I'll give you whatever you want. You vote for me. Yes. So Yeah, and that's the, And now he's in. They so are coming to playing it for all it's worth. So but um ultimately though he'll he'll decide at bits and pieces that he'll agree with now that he's in. So he'll just go back on his word with whatever promises he's made to them. So he'll, he'll keep them happy to some extent, and it depends whether he decides to run a second term or not. So, you know, he, he probably wouldn't want to. They've, they've already got an education secretary who is a conservative mm. Christian mm. who apparently knows very, very little about running an education system, yep. but she's a committed <laughs> Christian and she's already been doing things to, you know, try to cement in these changes. Yeah, and but when you say the evangelicals are playing Trump, he'll just give them stuff like that because he doesn't care. Like his his kids aren't going to be going to a public no. school, so he doesn't give a rat. So on things where he doesn't care, he'll just give it, give them what they want. Yeah. But there'll be occasional things where he might care because it suits him, and he'll just mm. renege on any deal he's probably made with them so mm. it's just uh what was the expression we used the other day that came up in that article that was oh handmaid's tale meets, oh, um, meets 1984, 1984 via mind yeah. and yeah. wow all the elements are there aren't they yeah. with, with, with what's happening it's mm. it's a terrible toxic combination and it's oh well the other part that he's done is he has withdrawn from the UN Council for Human Rights. That's withdrawn right. the US from that. Mm. What do you think of that? I wasn't aware of that until just now. Okay, uh, I don't know why the hell he's withdrawn from it. I mean, well, they uh, criticised the detention arrangements that have happened. Well, we've been criticised before too, but we haven't yeah. withdrawn from anything. Yeah. And they, that, well, I think the main point was the. Almost constant criticism coming from that council uh, regarding Israel and the um, yeah, well, that was the, the other reason they said was that the council always votes against Israel, mm. so that was another reason. Yeah, but essentially it was just the criticism they they'd received from the UN Human Rights Council. They said, "Well, we're out of here," and you know the problem is the, the UN and all of its various councils and committees are pretty shoddy little things, aren't they? So I don't really care on that score. You can pull well, out this all- is Saudi this is the mob that's headed up by Saudi Arabia, that's isn't right. it? Yeah, I think they might be the current chair. I think they are, yeah. Of, the Human Rights yeah. Council it's called, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, if they're not the current one they were not so long ago. Mm. Yeah, it revolves around. Yeah, look it might it might actually shake things up a bit because I mean if the United States being the major donor to the United States, I think the United Nations still, I think, isn't it? Um, My understanding is it was, but they did. Um, there was a complaint a number of years ago that they were behind on their dues. Oh, well, they, they may be behind, but they've always led the world. I think they've always led in the, the amount of money they contribute. But look, it might shake things up because if they just keep saying, "Oh, we're not happy with you guys," but just continue to play along and keep giving them money, nothing much changes, I suppose. So maybe in the long run it, it might be productive. Who knows? 
It's just lost all legitimacy, the UN, with mm. its various resolutions. It's lost a lot of legitimacy. So whether you're in or out doesn't really matter, does it? Mm. So can't really say a bad yeah. word as a, res- as a result of that manoeuvre. It's a real problem, though, that if the UN is losing its relevance because, you know, the League of Nations and that sort of thing, that um, – did fall over mm. before, Second you know, the, before the Second World War. Mm. And we are at a situation with China and that sort of stuff that there is a fair amount of sabre rattling going on that we could end up with a World War Three around the corner. So I personally think the United Nations is a useful institution, but it probably needs quite a bit of reforming. Absolutely, it needs some reform, you know. <laughs> to have the Saudis. Sorry, I'm fond of understatement. <laughs> no, they have the Saudis. They have the Saudis, you know, being held up as some sort of. Well, what are you doing? What, okay. How I do think you reform? Just, you know, I think we referred to this actually a long, long time ago. Yeah, we were talking about setting up a second UN. And yeah. we said something like in order to qualify for a vote, you needed to have at least passed certain criteria. Like mm. you could. You could create some sort of objective criteria that your country free and fair elections mm. for starters, yeah. and and the rights of women being and, respected. And there, there are various other, you know, things that get measured in terms of human rights, and we could say a, you need to pass a certain point before you qualify for a vote. But that'll never happen. But, but uh, you know, at the moment all? you've got crazy dictatorship, tin pot sort of. Yeah. But then they would just say that's a that's a it's a white supremacist European imperialist um, notion of what human rights are. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah, so yeah, but it, it might well it may well be. But by the same token, the white supremacist European model has proven itself to be a very good model. Careful, it has been in the end. When though, you say white supremacist model, oh, come on, it's not okay. It's no longer white, white supremacist, supremacist model. model. It is now. It is now the Western, the model of Western civilization has proven itself to be a very good model for the rest of the world to follow. In the end, though, a whole bunch of countries that we would consider would qualify under that criteria. So, uh, my, you know, most of the European countries, for example, and Japan and Australia, New Zealand, etc., Canada, they could all come out and say, America, you've just done a really bad thing, not only on this particular issue but on others, and they wouldn't, just wouldn't give a damn. they just keep doing whatever they're going to do. We could say, don't invade that country, don't interfere in the sovereign rights of that mm. Middle Eastern country, don't do this, don't do that. Mm. They just ignore it anyway. So, mm. you know, as a place to meet and talk, but expectations have to be virtually zero. People will just ignore uh, any recommendations anyway. Even if we set up a UN according to that, the current US government, and most of the previous ones as well would probably just ignore it anyway and do what they bloody well want to. You know, it is very true. I mean, mm. Obama was also fond of ignoring the UN too. Mm. You know, right. I don't know what the answer is, but it's got to. We've got to do something about it because it's the only thing that's keeping us from tearing each other's throats out. Mm. So you know, we've got to do something about it. Has about its place. It. At least it does have its place. Yeah. Can get together and talk. Mm. Even if they don't agree, it's still better that they keep talking. I personally think the biggest mistake was allowing them to set it up in New York. I think it should have been, it should have remained on neutral territory in Switzerland. 
Well, why not a, an island somewhere? Well, I don't know. It, it should have been put somewhere. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, you can say it again. That's all right. Hey, we're all for repeating ourselves. <laughs> mm. yeah. Gentlemen, we better move along in our topics. Otherwise, I mean, we don't want this podcast to last an hour and 52 minutes like the last one. <laughs> Meredith Doig would not be happy because she mentioned – that, that she, she struggles to listen yeah. when it goes too long. And I found out the reason why is because um, she gave us a little plug in her newsletter last week. Oh, and she? she said, I uh, haven't listened to it yet, but they're talking about these issues and I'll be listening to it when I'm on the treadmill. And I figure that's why she's not happy when we go over time. She just can't keep running for two hours. Yeah, Meredith. <laughs> <laughs> spending too much time on the treadmill when we go over time. But we, we take credit for any increase in your fitness levels, Meredith. Absolutely. Yeah, mm. On the bright side. Right. Last week we spoke about uh, sniffer dogs at a music concert and the police in New South Wales said that the dogs are going to sniff people coming in and we'll search the people and even if we don't find any drugs on them, we're not going to let them in. I said it was an outrage, and it is an outrage. And I was given a link by Robin Bristow on, uh, up at Noosa. Good on you, Robin. Um, and basically it refers to an article where the Greens have got an, an initiative that they're calling Sniff Off. So they actually have got some lawyers and went to court to try and get an injunction ahead of the concert, for the concert, uh, seeking an order that to stop the police from doing what they'd announced they were going to do. And unfortunately, the uh, judge, Michael Pembroke, said that the court doesn't waste time with hypothetical issues like that, essentially, until someone's rights had been actually infringed, no action would be taken. So... So they were unsuccessful in stopping it beforehand, but they've got hold of people who were actually stopped and banned, and uh, at least five ticket holders were refused entry. And on at least one occasion, the ticket holder wasn't just excluded, they were given a six-month ban from entering any part of Sydney Olympic Park precinct. On what grounds? On the opinion of a dog. Hmm. Unbelievable. But is is that legal for them to do that? Well, it can't be legal. You wouldn't think it's, so. It's it's illegal. You don't have drugs on you. You haven't committed a crime. It, but can they do that anyway in other cases? Can they say... It seems to me to be totally illegal. They do not have the power to do this. You've got to find drugs on people to, to enforce a drug law. You have to find a breach of law, don't y- yes. you? Yes. In order to impose a penalty. In one case, as reported in the Sydney Morning Herald, a 23-year-old woman was denied entry because the drug dog picked up that she was carrying Vic's nasal decongestant. And um, What was she thinking? She was carrying searched. Carrying that sort of gear around on. And uh, that was enough. They banned her for that, for, for carrying... It's outrageous. It is it? outrageous. So, so these five that have been... Picked up by Sniff-Off, they're going to sue now, are they? To get I believe so. Yeah, so that's what they're going to use as a, as to get in front of the judge and no longer. Yep. Yeah. That would be the plan. So good luck and good on the Greens for that initiative. 
I can't believe the Labor Party and other people are not up in arms about police state. Incredible. The thing that I found really disturbing was this report that said they were given a six-month ban from entering any part of the Sydney Olympic precinct. Mm. That is really offensive. You know, it, it is saying to people that you cannot go into certain zones within the city. I, I find that ridiculous. It's just wrong. It's, a, it's an infringement of people's um, liberty. Yeah, it's a police state. It is, yeah. yeah. So just uh, I have a link there to another article which uh, says, this is from the Sydney Morning Herald again, that 80% of sniffer dog searches for drugs result in false positives. The figures obtained from the state government in response to parliamentary questions on notice show 14,102 searches were conducted after a dog sat next to a person, indicating they might be carrying drugs. But in 11,248 cases, no drugs were found. So that's obviously not just at that concert, it's in all sorts of events, but 80% of the times the dogs are wrong. So, goodness me, and on the basis of that, you're banning people from a precinct for six months and banning them from, oh, it's terrible. Well, maybe the dogs need retraining, do you think? Could be, yeah. Well, you know, look, the dogs are probably right in the sense that the people have had contact with drugs, like you know, they've had marijuana in their pocket or something like that and the and the aroma is still there. Mm. So that's the scent is still there. So the dogs might well be right in that case. But, hey, if you don't have drugs on you at the time, you're good to go. And there was a case uh, a couple of years ago where a chap in northern New South Wales was found to have um, THC or whatever active substance it is in his bloodstream. You know, he was oh. given a roadside... Uh, drug test, right. and they said that they detected cannabis. Mm. Um, he denied it and said that he'd had a he'd had a joint or whatever at uh, at a party some you know about a week prior or something like that. Mm. And on that basis, he was his his driving was not impaired, and that it was um, it was it was not justified. He took it to court. He fought it, mm. and the magistrate let him off and basically said. Well, you know, the police didn't have strong grounds to 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 penalise him, mm, I suppose, for the offence of for driving the offense under of, the influence of a drug. Exactly. Yeah. So it would appear that these roadside drug tests are a little bit uh, unreliable as well. I mean, whether or not he was truthful, we don't really know, do we? But that was his his story. Mm. But I've heard from other uh, sources close to me that, um, you know, in industry, like in the mining industry and uh, such things, they they drug test their staff. They do. Yeah. Look, uh, someone close to me told me that someone he knows, uh, uh, you know, basically parties on the weekend, but he, he backs off with his recreational drugs uh Time enough to allow him to pass a drug test if if he has to pass one mm. on Monday at work or whenever mm. you know. So you know, I, I, I don't know whether those roadside tests are a totally reliable guide to uh, driver impairment at all. I don't know. Don't know enough about the technicalities of it. Mm. But certainly, sniffer dogs sniffing people. You search them; they don't have anything on them. That's mm. it. You got to let people go. Mm. One of the more disturbing things was that girl who was barred from entry because she had a Vicks inhaler. Yes. 
Yes. It makes you wonder what the hell the dogs were sniffing. Yeah. Maybe they were sniffing the inhaler. Mm. Yeah. It might have been that the police I mean, thought that was... sniffing the inhaler and it impaired their sense of smell. <laughs> it might have been the police thought that she had that as a means of uh, disguising the smell of drugs on her and on that basis... They That's were... a great idea. Mm. Can we hide our drugs inside a Vicks inhaler? Well, and get through into the concert. No, you'll still be tossed out just because of the base of the Vicks inhaler. So, oh, yeah. dear. Okay, mm. there goes that idea. Mm. Mm. There we go. So that's that story. Good on you, Sniff Off. Look forward to hearing the result of that. And somebody, the police commissioner or whoever it was, needs to be wrapped over the knuckles on that one. He really does. Mm. Or she. I can't, couldn't tell you what the New South Wales police woman is, whether it's a woman or man. But mm. either or, they need to have their knuckles wrapped. Yep. Right, there's been some movement in various states talking about forcing <laughs> priests to reveal any information about sex, child sex abuse that they might hear in the confessional. And despite a royal commission that has come out and described the most awful institutional abuse of children, these Catholic priests still will come out and say, well, that's a terrible law and we're just not going to follow it. So we've got an article here which is from Catholic News. The church will not adhere to a change in South Australian law requiring priests to report confessions of child sex abuse, says Port Pirie Bishop Greg O'Kelly, the apostolic administrator of Adelaide It doesn't affect us, he says. We have an understanding of the seal of confession that is in the area of the sacred. So, Oh, that makes it all right right then, doesn't it? Thumbs his nose at at the law. And that's exactly what it is, thumbing their noses at the law. Mm. The law doesn't apply to them because they have a special relationship with a sky fairy. Yep. So it's really offensive what that guy has just said, though. Terrible. It really is bloody wrong. Um, I've just got to find an article here which came to me from Brian Morris, and he found this article. It was in an Adelaide paper, and it was it was firewalled, so it was difficult for me. But basically, Mark Parnell is a South Australian. Uh, Greens politician, and he wants to, the Catholic Church punished if it defies these laws and saying that we should take away any tax breaks that we've got for church groups in South Australia, at least at a state level. So rates, you know, they don't have to pay rates and things like that. So he is quoted as saying it's outrageous for the church to suggest it's above the law this is an institution that receives huge financial support from the community in tax breaks, not being required to pay council rates on its huge properties, and they're inviting us to cancel all these concessions. So that's good. Another Greens politician making the right noises. They're getting on board with these They do things. sometimes. Yeah. It's just a shame they, they just go crazy on, on other these, things. On these yeah. other left-wing issues. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there is nothing, I know this is giving credit to the Murdoch press, but there is nothing truer than what they said in the Australian a couple of years ago. The Greens are like a uh, a watermelon. 
green on the outside, red in the centre. <laughs> Meaning communist. Yes, exactly. Well, it's not so much their communist economic policies. It's, it's more the- they just got crazy social justice ideas yeah. in terms of treaties with Aboriginal people and, yeah. and well, it's basically the Aboriginal issues, the immigration borders, issues, yeah. and that would be the main They're ones. captive to every new social justice, you know, half-baked postmodern theory out there. Very much into equality of outcome rather than equality of opportunity perhaps in terms of... But they don't uh, think things through to the logical conclusion. Yeah, on those issues. So it's disappointing. It is. They dropped the ball on a couple of those others. But um, groups like Reason and the Sex Party might come through. Former sex party. Mm. Mm. So anyway, I've got a link to another article. This is from a lady called Chrissy Foster, and she's sort of responding to these Catholic priests saying that they are not going to honour this law that's requiring to break the seal of the confessional. And she says, I feel I must contribute again by reiterating what must be the perfect argument for the seal of confession to be broken for children. She's talking about a guy called McArdle. She said, The McArdle case is mind-numbing. In Queensland in October 2003, Catholic priest Michael McArdle pleaded guilty to sexually assaulting generations of children. In a sworn affidavit which he made public, McArdle stated he'd confessed to sexually assaulting children 1,500 times to 30 different priests over a 25-year period in face-to-face confessions. Now, had the law been changed 26 years ago, he would have confessed once and they would have been mandated, they would have been under a compulsory reporting scheme then. They would have reported him to the cops and that would have been the end of it. Hopefully they would have. Well, they should report him to the cops. Yeah, this current crop wouldn't. But one would hope that had the law been changed 26 years ago to break the seal of the confessional, that they had done the right thing and they'd turned around and reported him to the cops, he would have got away with it once and then after that, that would have been it. So there you go, dear listener. If people want to maintain that the seal of the confessional should not be broken, McArdle, 1,500 offences confessed to 30 different priests over a 25-year period. What a disgrace. You know, I found it ridiculous. The number of time, the, 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 at the number of years he got for that. He only yeah, got, he got six, six years. Six years, yeah. Which I found ridiculous. 1,500 offences. You'd think you'd have to. Didn't, yeah, it didn't sound, sound like much, did no, it? No. Mm. You could understand six years per offence. Hmm. Right, abortion clinic news, or fertility clinic news, abortion zones. Evangelical Christians step up abortion clinic protests in Queensland. An evangelical group has ramped up demonstrations outside several Brisbane abortion clinics as Queensland prepares to reform its 1899 law that makes abortion a criminal offence. Guardian Australia is aware of several recent verbal clashes between members of the anti-abortion group called Project 139 and clinic patients. 
the group has sought and received permits to conduct protests at four Brisbane clinics until at least August. In response, pro-choice Queensland has taken to the streets, mobilising volunteers who carry purple umbrellas and escort women safely past the protesters. This is happening in Queensland right now. Mm. Uh, Sinead Canning from Pro-Choice Queensland says the latest demonstrations had been more aggressive and confrontational than anything she'd experienced before in Australia. And Guardian Australia understands that Project 139 is the anti-abortion offshoot of a Brisbane-based evangelical action group called Operation 513. These names are... Doesn't make any sense, does it? They're, They're spooky. Um, and the article goes on to say that uh, the Queensland government's sort of waiting for advice from the Law Reform Commission and they're going to try and pass some laws about exclusion zones and it won't be until after they've got that through the parliament that they'll then have a go at voluntary euthanasia or assisted dying laws. So, um, but there we go. In Caitlin, we're going to need you up here in Queensland because it's all going to start. Well, it is all happening up here. We need to make a little trip, a little field trip, and just sort of see what happens at at one of these clinics, do you think, at some stage? Do you have a purple umbrella? No, but um, willing to grab one and escort somebody in if if needs be. Why not? Yeah. I'm off Monday and Fridays. So So we should try and find out. But... Mm. There you go, at, at four different clinics in Queensland at the moment, evangelical groups harassing women entering fertility clinics. Yeah. Look, the point is often made that those uh, anti-abortion protesters are really just anti-birth. And, you know, they, they're, they're pro-birth. They're not yes. pro-life, as they often claim. Yes. Because, you know, they don't... What do they do about protecting that? born child's interest throughout its, you know, th- even throughout its childhood. Level. They send them to Catholic churches where they are then, <laughs> you know, raped by... Or, 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 or conservative Christian ch- um, churches and schools is what they'd like. Mm. That was one of the comments about what's happening in America with those uh, mm. concentration camps for kids. It's, you know, all these groups are busy being active about abortion. You never see them being active in support of kids who are already born. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, they're an interesting group, Operation 513. Have you heard of them before? No, I hadn't. Mm. So they are an evangelical group who like to do sort of a street preaching sort of role. So uh, they've got a website, which I'm looking at right at this moment, and um, they're involved in the UK as well, but... They've got different teams operating a lot in Queensland and they go out to different spots and set up their table and their Bibles and hand them out and Bible bash to people. <laughs> and they then write a report of, of their activities. So, and it's called, it's under the heading of Battle Log. So, <laughs> so that's where you can read their reports. And for example, the latest one from the 16th of June described their activities at Redcliffe. And, you know, I approached this person and they took a book and seemed 
interested, but then their grandmother shushed them away and, you know, and they tell these stories of little incidents and interactions that they have with the public. And in this particular one, as I was reading it, they said, you know, we got really excited where we were in the street, just lots, well, there were lots of people looking at their phones, which is always the case because people do walk the streets just looking at their phones. And they said, but there was just a lot of people and all of them were looking at their phones and what they discovered was that the crowd was gathering in their location ready to play a Pokemon Go um, <laughs> game because for some reason Pokemon had required everybody to be in this particular location. At this, have you, 12th man, you're looking... You're looking rather oh, the, the phenomenon. Right. Yeah. Well, I think you have to sort of capture trinkets or, or, it, or things. It turns yeah. up on your yeah. phone and you've got all these little Pokemons on there. Yeah. And then you've got to catch them. Yeah. On your phone. Yeah. yeah. But this was, was this somebody from this evangelical group describing this well, well, they're saying strange this, sort the, of... This huge group of people started gathering around them. and Looking they, at their phones. And, and they said what it was was that they had gathered there for a Pokemon game that was sending them to that location. And I'll just quote this part of the, of the battle log, which says, As a team, we looked upon this gathering as God's providence on display. <laughs> <laughs> he had brought a crowd to our location in order to hear the gospel. So I did something I've never done before in Redcliffe. I preached in the open air. I started my message by talking about the game they're all playing and then asked, what happens when the game ends? Blah, 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 blah. So that's in the battle log on the uh, Operation 513. It's cringeworthy. It is, yeah. (laughs) It's a sign. It's a sign, yeah. Could be a sign. God has sent the Pokemon people here. It's a sign of the end times. People will walk around with their faces turned towards their screens. No, but I remember there was an evangelical group in the US that was trying to ban it or something like that because they were saying that Pokemon was a demon. It's another incarnation mm. of Satan, yeah. Mm. You didn't know that? No, I didn't no. know that. No. <laughs> They're all around you. You just have to open your eyes. Well, see, I don't look for Satan. <laughs> Next topic. This comes from 12th Man. You've always been a bit of a fan of Jacinta Nampinjimpa Price. Yeah, yeah, I think she's the mayor. She's not the mayor, she's a local councillor in in Alice Alice Springs. Springs, And normally speaks fairly robustly about helping the Aboriginal community, not through handout, but through. Through education. Yes. Encouraging probably uh, local industry and, and and not seeking special privilege. Yes, so much. I think that's her her main thrust is she doesn't want indigenous people to be sort of uh, treated as invalids who just are, you know like helpless children who need everything given to them. She wants them to be just normal. Australians with the same rights, same opportunities, just like we want for them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, she's a, she's pretty common sense sort of a person, I think. Mm. Well, she's on her Facebook page uh, posted an article which is talking about the copying of Aboriginal artwork, cheap copies often largely by Indonesian artists, 
And she said, um, yeah, referring to this particular article that she's reposted, 100% behind you, Bandok Manika. This has been going on for far too long and it is criminal. It devalues and diminishes the real art and the real artists. In a former life, I was a curator who lived and breathed the Indigenous art world. I grew up with artists in my own family who produced significant art for me and my family. There are complex rules and cultural understandings that one has a responsibility to through their dreamings that only they can paint about. Exposing tacky criminal rip-offs has been a long time coming and enough is enough. Mm, sorry, Jacinta. Yeah, I think she's gone off on a bit of a tangent, hasn't she? So, obviously, if somebody was to paint something and forge the signature of, of any artist, but usually it would be a well-recognised artist, well, that's fraud. You can't mm. do that. You mm. can't... You, you can't... Um, and if somebody has painted something, you can't copy that painting and try and sell it because mm. there's a copyright of that image that's being created. But to go the step further and say that there's a style that then can't be copied mm. is going a step too far, and particularly a style that belongs to a group and not an individual. We know what it is, thing. don't we? It's cultural appropriation. Yes, mm. that's what's being argued here. So, and it gets even more complicated when the people who are producing the artwork... Aboriginal artists producing legitimate Aboriginal art are then using modern materials, acrylic paint and canvas and brush, hog hair brushes and all this sort of stuff. Cultural appropriation. So this is the point. How can you say, oh, nobody's allowed to appropriate the Aboriginal culture, but oh... Aboriginal culture can appropriate European culture when it suits them. Can't have it both ways. Inconsistency is is a big no-no when it comes to logical arguments. It's inconsistency, and that's inconsistent. It is a little bit. Look, we'll we'll forgive Jacinta for this one because she's usually pretty good value, I have to say. Sorry, no, we won't forgive <laughs> Jacinta for that one. Sorry, I no, just no, no, yeah, just read that all over your face. No, no. Sorry, Jacinta. <laughs> I think you can you can let her off, but I think you just let her off with a warning, that's all. <laughs> Do you accept that, Jacinta? Well, We're letting you off with a warning this time. Yeah. Hope you're listening, by the way, Jacinta, because we are big fans of your work. Yeah. There's a lot of artwork around the world, and, I mean, can I not do a French Impressionist painting? Because that would be appropriating culture from the French and well you are so, white so it's up to it's up to the art buyer to determine who painted this and does that make the item more valuable or not so um, what's the provenance of of this item and I think what she's complaining about is the Czech ripoff in a tourist shop mm. 
Well, you know, if someone's buying something in a tourist shop, they're not really serious art collectors, are they? No. And they're probably often, if they're foreigners especially, probably completely oblivious to how they can determine whether it's authentic or not. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, if if it was produced by somebody who is 25% Aboriginal, is that okay? You know? Twelve and a half percent, seven percent, a little bit of if they just you know this is where it gets so difficult. So, so anyway, that's an interesting one, and for the first time, probably had to disagree with Jacinta on an issue. Yeah, yeah. it's probably the first time for me too. You know, we have been saying for a while that there's just an evangelical Tea Party takeover of the Liberal Party happening, and. Evidence of that was just further demonstrated in the last little while. So uh, two <laughs> things. Two fronts, yeah. Yeah, two things happened. So we've talked about Western Australia in the past. We'll go back to that now. So they've been working out who their Senate candidates are for the Liberal ticket in the upcoming federal uh, election. election. And an extreme evangelical Christian nutter managed to get into fourth place on the ticket and came within a whisker of getting the third place spot. Liberal Senate candidate will represent the voice of God and the desires of the church at the highest levels of government if she is elected. So she's still a chance, of course, that the number four is sort of an unlikely spot to win. It's extremely unlikely that mm, she'll get there. Yes. So... Uh, this is a female candidate, and her husband is Pastor Paul, Paul Botha, and he made the, uh, some comments at their uh, Sunday congregation um, about his wife, Pastor Trish Botha, and he said, should she receive the vote she needs, she'll be representing God's move, the voice of God, the desires of the church, the ch- Christian church, in the highest levels of government, She'll be a watchman who will make sure that the laws that are presented and the laws that are debated will align as closely with God's word and God's principles as is possible for someone to do in that area. Fire and brimstone. Damn the needs and aspirations of the electorate. She's there for God and nobody else. There you go. Evangelicals on the march in Western Australia, which we've been speaking about for probably two and a half years, Scott. Absolutely. And the, the, the problem here is that, you know, they've missed out this time, but they're in it for the long haul. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, she'll keep going for eventually. She'll get the third spot, which is winnable technically, but unlikely. But she'll wake her, wake her way up to the second spot, in which case then she will be elected. They play the long game. They do play the long game. They do play the long game. This is what, you know, there's another article which we're going to talk about too. Do you want me to do that now? And then Absolutely. we mix them all in together. So yeah. we've just had a, uh, a Liberal Party uh, conference and Liberal Party members have called on the Turnbull government to move Australia's embassy in Israel to Jerusalem and to privatise the ABC. So this all came about out of the Victorian branch. Where we've said the Mormons are on the march. Yes, and there's a big evangelical march down there. So they've come out and, well, what happened was that the parliamentarians said 
Julie Bishop, etc., said, well, we're not, not going to do it. Mm. You can say that, but we're just not going to do it. But that's just going to make them angrier and more determined and get more branch stacking happening and get more people on the floor and more power and eventually more people into parliament that mm. are of their ilk. Mm-hmm. So it's and not going to stop them. It's not going to stop them. And this is what's really worrying is that they have seen, they've seen the takeover the, of the Republican Party in the U.S., by the Tea Party. Hmm. They've seen that, they've seen it work, and they've imported the whole thing over here. They've, they are copying what's been done in America and they will succeed, but it will take a long time for them to succeed. Well, they're getting close. Like the- They are getting close. I mean, that woman in WA, she got very close. Hmm. There's no doubt about that. But this is what I'm saying, in two or three elections' time, she could well be in the number two spot, in which case she will win. And it's not as if our parliament isn't already more religious than the general population. Absolutely like it, is, it is, yeah. There's a particular um, flavour of evangelicalism that mm. is coming through with these groups mm. who are hot on – they'll be hot on abortion issues and they'll be the creationists. Like yeah, we haven't exactly. had it, yeah, we, we haven't had that we, debate we haven't had in cre- Australia. We haven't had the creationism debate yet. No. When will it happen? It will happen probably in – if they continue at the rate they are, mm. they will probably overtake the Liberal Party and the Australian people will give them one term in office and then we will turn our backs on the Liberal Party and they will be decimated. Uh, let's see. I, I reckon two years there will be some talk at a, some Liberal Party conference about creationism being taught in schools. Absolutely. The option. Really? Absolutely. Yep. So there we go. There's a prediction, two years. I'd say probably three or four years. I'd go with four years is about the first – probably four years will be the first talk of it Mm -hmm. and then it'll get slapped down by the elected representatives. Then the branch stacking will take off in earnest and then you'll get a new bunch of elected representatives in there and they will take over the party position and then that's when that'll move. It's it's one of the few things that they haven't really – Tackled. So no, they uh, haven't. The, the creationism argument is is on <clears> its <throat> way. Mm. You know, and you know the, the the abortion law reform that we've had in Australia has basically been fueled without Fred Nile getting his knickers in a twist too much. But if he feels emboldened, we could see some, we could see blood on the on the legislative council. You know. Mm. Anyway, I've got a link to another article from the John Menadue blog, which basically is from a guy called Michael Pascoe, which which is titled Liberals Lurch to the Right is Straight Out of the Trump Playbook. Here, more or less, there's the same things that we've said. As the internal Liberals' battles continue to be fought branch by branch, the Federal Council's treatment will not be forgotten. It is the increasingly hardline membership that will decide pre-selections, that will dump the socialists in the liberal ranks, that will look to the American Republican Party as its spiritual home. God help us. <laughs> so, yeah, that's his view, Michael Pascoe on the John Menadue blog. It is a real concern because you've got, you know, there are, a, I remember meeting a number of people who were churchgoers. However, they weren't um, they weren't really evangelicals, mm. you know. And if you get this situation where the evangelicals do get the numbers, then we're screwed. 
well, the Liberals are screwed, and well, well have- we're screwed by it too <laughs> because yeah. you know we have the other other side of government. Mm. Right, last week when we actually just going back to the um, issue with the sniffer dogs, and we said, why aren't people protesting? What are the youth doing in the world? <laughs> and got a message from one of our patrons, James uh, Watley, who said, last podcast was just brilliant, great range of topics too, with a wonderful garnish of religious religion bashing atop it. Uh, why aren't the young people protesting? Good question. They don't know they need to. Too deeply buried in online pop culture and et cetera, et cetera. What he did say, actually, um, good on you, James, is that he's got a 22-year-old guy renting a room here who's taken to listening to the podcast as well and usually interrupts to ask questions and discuss the topic he has been listening to. So there is hope there. PlayStation must be broken. No, Kevin, (laughs) young 20-year-old, 22-year-old Kevin is on board. Good on you, Kevin. Tell all your friends about us. Good on you, James. And get out on the streets too. (laughs) And get out on the streets protesting, that's right. So, If there was a protest that was set up, I would actually go and join it because it is – it is ridiculous, some of the stuff that's coming down. Mm. Mm. You know, and it is high time, I think, that we do actually start taking to the streets again to actually show the bastards that we're not serious, that we are yeah. serious. Well, how to, how to affect change, that's the big question, is it? isn't it? How yeah. to affect interest is what I'd like to know. Yes. How to just get people interested in, you know, mm. the system that, you know, basically orders their lives, you know, because mm. a lot of people just seem to be under the illusion that things will just continue to just roll along and things will be fine forever yeah. without them doing anything about it. This is the thing in Australia, we've had it so good for so long yeah. and we've avoided people the shocks that have affected uh, European countries, for example. I mean, if we had Spain's un- youth unemployment rate, then maybe people would be scratching their heads and going, hmm. Well, it's like me and Paul were saying tonight over in the car. You know, the employers only have themselves to blame for the rising tide of unionism in this country because, you know, <laughs> they've had it bloody good for a very long time. Is there a rising tide of unionism? There is, yeah. Really? It is. You've got that uh, – what's that name of that lady that um, is the new ACTU secretary? I forget her name. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, the rather doer. Anyway, expressionless. Yeah, she has started a real conversation that is becoming quite militant. Mm. And as I said to Paul, the employers have only got themselves to blame. We haven't had we haven't had um, productivity rates in this country as good as they've got it now, and the wages growth has been stagnant. Mm. So it is really their own fault. Mm. And that will be a bloody good thing if we do see union movement because it will it will shut them up. Look, if times get tough and you're looking for a job, here's an opportunity. Sports chaplaincy is the most <laughs> exciting ministry in Australia, says Paul Morrow Morrison, chaplain for the West Coast Eagles. Paul Morrow Morrison. Couldn't they have given you a better nickname than Morrow? Anyway... <sighs> He says, if you were in a business that had that level of demand, you would think I'm about to become the richest man on the planet because every sporting association we meet with, Western Australian, over East, football, amateur football, all want chaplains in their clubs, Morrow told Eternity. 
during a break in his busy schedule. The churches are slow. They're missing an opportunity. There are over 76,000 sporting clubs in Australia. There's currently about 750 sports chaplains. And I reckon of the 76,000, I could easily say 8,000 of those would have a chaplain tomorrow if we could supply one. What they need is a, um, a member of parliament to, you know, put in a word for them to get federal funding for chaplains in sports clubs. <laughs> don't, please, don't put that idea in somebody's head. Someone will take that idea up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can imagine Tony School, Abbott listening yeah. to this and he'd say, oh, that's a good yeah, idea. Yeah. <laughs> if that happens, Paul, I'm blaming you. <laughs> this is the problem we're at, though, is that some... some ch- Christian chaplain can approach, you know, Valley's Rugby Club or something and say, hey, put my hand up, would you like a, would you like a chaplain? I'll help out with different bits and pieces around. And, and they're going to go, well, Carry okay, the oranges a, free, out at a free helping hand to help out with different stuff and help yeah. run the sausage sizzle and whatever. Sure. And then, of course, hey, guys, you know, we've got a... Youth camp up at the Sunshine Coast next week. And Not only that, but along. we'll have we'll have little you know, gotta, uh, groups of footballers after yeah. a match having yeah. little prayer sessions on field. Yeah. And Jesus no, Christ. no secularist is going to go. Hey, Valley's Footy Club. I'd like to come along and extol the virtues of secularism yeah. while I hand out sausages. It just doesn't work, does it? Oh, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. They are motivated. You've got to, yeah. you know, we, we all know that religious people are motivated mm. and they, they believe it's almost their duty. It's a bit, mm. you know, it's part of their Christian witness is well, yeah, well, to go out there I, and spread you know, the word. I, I, we talked about inconsistency before. At least these people are consistent. Like are. If you actually believed in God and heaven and all that, you should be doing what they're doing. So I... At least admire them for having, you know, courage of their convictions. Ca- exactly, yeah. carrying out their convictions. So good on them in that sense. Yeah, but damn them to hell in every <laughs> other sense. <laughs> oh. I think you are both a little melodramatic about the march of the Christians. I do think that. Um, <laughs> No, I do think that they are going to limit their appeal to political parties. And because they've seen what's happened in the US where the Republicans have lost control of their party and the Tea Party's taking control of it. So they've seen that work and they're going to, they think to themselves, we can overtake the Liberal Party. And like I said, the Australian public will give them one term in office and then they'll be tossed out for a generation. Keep talking while I find my book. Hang on. No, be Do you think the average? voting public really gives a damn about their religious beliefs so long as the voting public perceives them to be doing right by their hip pockets? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's true. That is very true. That as long as the hip pocket is looked after, then they don't care. You said that they'd be just satisfied with politics rather than... Um, getting involved in other things, being melodramatic because their focus would be on politics. Yes. Rather than church, rather than football field. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he's got that crazy look in his eyes. <laughs> he gets that a lot. <laughs> I'm just trying to find uh, 
dominionism is all about uh, oh, seven yes. mountains of dominionism. Yeah, I know. And I'm going to have to edit this because I'll just give me half a minute to find um, what the heads of dominionism were. Right, we've recharged with fresh beer and I've managed to grab hold of my copy of Sacred to Secular. It's a very good book, everyone. I thoroughly recommend it. Mm, by Brian Morris, who is also the guy who started National Secular Lobby. Good on you, Brian. I've got your book. I've got it opened at page 100, talking about the seven mountains to be conquered as part of dominionism, education, government, business, media, other religions, families, arts and entertainment, and basically... The dominionists seek to put people in charge in all of those fields of human endeavour. So they won't be satisfied with just politics. They've got little seeds dropped in all of those areas well, and get... waiting for people to percolate to the top. Speaking of little seeds, they for- totally forgot the recreational cannabis um, community, didn't they? <laughs> the dominionists did. Yeah. Probably. I don't know. I wish yeah. they'd get onto some. It might help us all. <laughs> I think, I honestly think that they are... You're in the Meredith Doig school, because Meredith was kind of like, oh, don't worry so much, these things are happening in ways, yeah, and it's not so bad. I didn't think it was not so bad. I mean, it is a concern what is happening to the Liberal Party. There's no doubts there. It's a hell of a concern. I agree. However, I think that they're only going to be in office once, and then they'll get chucked out for a generation. Because you've got to remember... You know, Campbell Newman came into power up here in Queensland with a thumping majority. He lost office after one after one term because he went burko about it once he actually got into office. Now, I don't think you're going to see another LNP government here in Queensland for five terms. <laughs> no, I don't think you see them in three years. I think, you know, I, I think if Palaszczuk does stay... If she does go on and she does do something about assisted dying after the abortion law reform, then I think she's actually taken over the mantle as being a reasonable Labor Premier, and I think she will win the next she'll win the next next election. And hopefully, Australians find the whole notion of these evangelicals quite distasteful compared hmm. to the US electorate. Absolutely, prepared to swallow a lot more. And I think that I think that is very true. Like you know, the Americans are a lot more religious than we are. You know, you look at the numbers and whatnot over there. You've got oh, I think it's twenty percent of the public have prepared to say they're atheists in the U.S. I think it's growing in the U.S. Yeah, it is, like it is growing. It is growing. But over here, we've got forty percent who's saying they're atheist. So I think that if you look at those numbers there alone then we're going to find an evangelical-backed political party to be completely distasteful, and we will throw them out. Mm. You know, the most distasteful thing about these evangelical groups Mm. is they are so neoliberal. Absolutely they are. um, In their policies, that's the part that gets me, that makes them dangerous. And number one on that list is language warning again. I think every time I talk about this guy, I just can't help myself. Fucking Scott Morrison. (laughs) (laughs) Article. I've got an article here. Title is 
The title is Scott Morrison encourages states to let private sector run schools and hospitals. And, you know, we've been here before. It doesn't work. This is part of, if you're prepared to believe in magical thinking, then you're, you're prepared to believe in trickle down. Hmm. You're prepared because it's to the accept same kind of magical thinking, it, isn't it? Yeah, basically? simple solution, magical thinking. I mean, it's so, almost the same. It's just, uh, and you know, it makes I'd, you wonder if Scott Morrison doesn't want the ABC sold off, despite his um, profuse denials. Well, it wouldn't surprise me that he wouldn't he wouldn't mind sure, selling it off. I'm yeah. sure he would. Yeah. yeah, but you know, this is what I find absolutely ridiculous about this argument because you have these arguments every couple of years, they do come up from time to time saying we should let the private sector run hospitals. It doesn't make any sense. The most efficient hospital system in the world is the British NHS. It is run very well and it is government owned and government funded. It works exceptionally well. Now there has been some slide in standards. There's no doubt about that. However, it is still a very good public health system. Howard has ruined ours. Absolutely, he has. Yeah, mm. yeah. We should. John Menadou blog has got some excellent articles on how John Howard ruined our our health system. Absolutely, so, because he he, he we'll brought in. into that whole nonsense of being the private sector is is your saviour. It's not a saviour. It is very good at what it does, but it shouldn't be looked upon as being a saviour. Yeah, there yeah. are certain sectors that shouldn't be seen as essentially commercial sectors, and one is education, another is health. Yeah. 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 What about the military? Why not privatise the damn Australian Defence Force if <laughs> yes. they're going to go down that path? Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't they be more efficient? Mm. Wouldn't they buy their tanks at a you know, bargain sale instead of straight off the shelf? You know? Another one to watch is Finance Minister... Matthias? Matthias Corman. Matthias Corman. Mm. He said the idea would include a diversity of providers competing with each other to deliver better services, both in terms of quality and cost. Well, look to the United States of America mm. and see how well that's worked out for them. Indeed. There's look, another one mm. to be marching in the streets for. There's a lot to be marching for. But but I honestly think, I've I've said this before, I think the first thing we should do is we should scrap this whole, we should scrap the 30% rebate for private health insurance. We should scrap the whole thing about if you don't be, if you're not a member of private health insurance, your Medicare levy goes up and we should replace it by having a doubling of the Medicare levy across everyone so that we can have a decently funded public health system. Mm. And then after that, the private hospitals will wither and die on the vines, we'll be able to buy them for cents in the dollar, and then they'll be, they'll be part of the National Health Service. Mm. And, you know, you'll be able to go in there without being bothered by Christians. <laughs> <laughs> and, and don't you think the, the majority of Australians look, to the, look at the United States healthcare system and just wring their hands? Absolutely, we do, yeah. What were they thinking when they decided to just make it all about money? Well, my better half said my better half said to me once, he said, you know, you've got to remember how much they charge for an appendectomy. And an appendectomy can cost you a hundred grand. What? Yeah. I think I'd have to die instead. <laughs> Do it yourself. <laughs> Indeed. It might be worth a try. Mm. Oh dear. Um, freedom for faith. They're a group. <laughs> 
and they've got a Facebook page and for some reason, well, of course I follow their Facebook page <laughs> as well as I do the Bible Society and the Catholics and all the rest of it. So my, my Facebook, I, I you would not want my Facebook you feed. You an unhealthy stuff. obsession. Yeah, I do. So they were actually, they'd had a little post about the Trinity Western Law School in Canada. Remember, this was the law school mm-hmm. that required its students to sign a covenant that they wouldn't have sex before marriage or something like that. But then for gay couples, marriage is illegal, so that's virtually saying you can't have sex and be a law student at our school. Are they and allowed to at least masturbate? I, probably not. Oh. And anyway, the... Local law societies said to Trinity Western, well, you can have your degree, but uh, your students will not be admitted as lawyers to the law society because of your discriminatory practice. And that went through the court system in Canada. And thankfully, in a 7-2 to two decision, the court said that the law societies were quite entitled to take that view Hooray. So Freedom for Faith posted basically saying, isn't that terrible that that should have happened in Canada? And I couldn't help myself. I had to go onto their Facebook page and leave a comment, which was, I don't see the problem. If a university should have the freedom to discriminate against gay students, then why can't a law society have the freedom to discriminate against a university that discriminates against gay students? Unless, of course, you think freedom is a one-way street. It is always freedom when favourable to Christians and persecution when it is exercised against Christians. Just kidding. I mean, this is not a good analogy. It breaks down when you realise that gay people are not gay by choice. On the other hand, a university that discriminates against gay students does so by choice. So the discrimination by the law society is fair, whereas the discrimination by the university is unfair. Ah, freedom. It's such a wonderful thing because it works both ways. If you don't think that is a good idea, then what you want is not freedom, but special privilege to be exempt from the laws that everyone else obeys. I'm thinking this group, instead of being called Freedom for Faith, should rename itself as Privilege for Faith. Nice comment. Mm. It was a very good comment, yeah. Anyway, Freedom for Faith responded with a few things, and I just said, look, Facebook... um, Comment threads are no place to have a debate, and I'm happy to record a podcast interview with anybody who wants to do it. And they said, well, we're a bit picky about who we give media interviews to and send us an email. So I sent them an email. We'll see if they respond. So the challenge is there. Mm. So that was that. One of our favourites on this podcast is Lionel Shriver. Very good writer. She, have you read her book? I did read her novel about the mandibles. It was really good. Okay. Yeah. In fact, don't leave tonight, Twelfth Man, without – are you going to read it if I lend it to you? No. Okay. I don't read much fiction, I have to say. There's just so much nonfiction stuff that I, you know, want but to get through. It's, and it's fiction, don't. but it's, it's – it describes a dystopian future where the world economy collapses – and this family where the wealthy members of the family are the first to lose their money because it's all paper mm-hmm. and shares and stocks that just disappear. And the poorest member of the family who works in a hospital for the government sort of keeps her job 
as a public servant, she actually ends up being the most well off of the um, of the family, mm-hmm. and then it's just the gradual disintegration of civilization. So it's it's fiction, but it's it's an account that's sort of. If you're a pessimist like myself, yeah, look, describes re- a possible dystopian future. I, I, I genuinely regret that I don't mm. read more fiction because mm. I know there is a lot of good inspirational and thought-provoking fiction out there. Mm. I just um, just never managed to get through all the books I buy that are non-fiction. Mm. Anyway, Lionel Shriver um, has made a comment about a Penguin Random House, a publisher. Penguin Random House sent out an email... Uh, to different contacts saying that they, they've got a new company-wide goal. Both our new hires and authors we acquire are to reflect UK society by 2025. This means we want our authors and new colleagues to reflect the UK population, taking into account ethnicity, gender, sexuality, social mobility and disability. The email proudly proclaims that the company has removed the need for a university degree from nearly all of our jobs. Before we get on to the the diversity aspect, just being proud to say you've removed the requirement of a university degree, that's terrible. You shouldn't be proud of that. But anyway, they're more or less saying, well, if the population in the UK is 20% black and 5% Caribbean and 4% going, and well, that's what our author breakdown should be. Um, Lionel Shriver may have exaggerated it, according to Ken and Malik, that they weren't going that far. But anyway, she made the point that tick the box quotas are not the way to go. And just because of who somebody is shouldn't be relevant. It's what have they written and what is the quality of it. So. She, um, it's kind of hard to argue with that, isn't it? Mm, she wrote in only the way that Lionel can, um, some comments about that. She called them drunk on diversity. Uh, no, no, what's the other word that we use? A virtue, drunk on virtue, oh, drunk on virtue, yeah, great little phrases mm. like that. Um, yeah. drunk on virtue, she described them as, and a few other things, and she promptly got sacked from her position of judging a book contest of some sort. <laughs> that probably ruined her year, right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So the, the, she was going to be judging some other thing. Short story competition run right. by the magazine Mislexia. Thank you. Obviously, Mislexia is in favour of diversity, but not diversity of opinion. So. And that's the diversity that really counts, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're, you know, we're not against diversity, for goodness sake, but that kind of diversity they promote is the most shallow, trivial kind of diversity. It's just what people look like on the outside of their skin. See, Lionel Shriver had a brother who was, who I think died of extreme obesity, and she wrote a book about it. And she got panned by obese people saying, you can't write a story about obese people. That's what the world's come to. Mm. Yeah. Sounds like our, our friend Jasmine would say. Yeah. Like something she would say. does, doesn't it? Mm. Mm. So anyway, that's Lionel Shriver. And Ken and Malik made some comments that I, for once, 
didn't read Cannon Malik and going, yeah, Cannon, you've got it this time. He yeah. he didn't really. He's normally so good. He normally is, but I I, 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 I have on occasion not totally been in alignment with Kenan Malik. Mm. No, I mean, I'm but he is generally good. I'm the same. I didn't find everything that he wrote here made a lot of sense, except for this one line. Diversity is of itself neither good nor bad. The real issue is how we engage with diversity. Yeah. And I thought that was a very good point. Indeed. You know, mm. but the rest of the, the rest of what he wrote thing, I didn't, I didn't really like it. Mm. Yeah. He's very good on multiculturalism. I'll give him that. His his analysis of multicultural um, policy in the UK is uh, is pretty good. Mm. Yep. And his analysis of um, racism. Yep. Yep. Mm. Well, gentlemen, Meredith's on the treadmill and she's starting to flag. She's like, "How long are these guys going to keep talking?" Is what keep she's it up, saying. Meredith. And <laughs> don't give up on probably, us now. We sh- probably should bring it to a close. <laughs> Patrons out there, thanks, guys, for helping out. And I hope you're all enjoying the audio quality. If you might have noticed in the last few weeks, um, because of our great audio setup and a little bit of tinkering that we've been doing, I think for three guys sitting in a large room with hard surfaces, we're producing a fairly good um, sound quality here. So thank you to the patrons who have helped us to buy the necessary equipment to do that. So good on mm. you. You know who you are. And if you're in Brisbane this Sunday, we're all meeting and you've got the email to tell you where. So Landon Hardbottom's in town. And <laughs> I probably would have taken the chance somewhere along the way in this podcast to have inserted a few Landon Hardbottom clips as a little bonus. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting Landon. And <laughs> and Raju Singh is also in town. I'm looking forward to meeting Raju. He's off the submarine. He's apparently. off the submarine, yes. Because his last message, he came from Adel- uh, Armadale. Armadale, yes. yes. He's so been he living in Armadale next to Barnaby Joyce, and yeah. he's, uh, he's going to make the trip up and yeah. join us. So that's happening this Sunday. Looking forward to that. I'm very excited. Deep Throat's going to be there. Mm. Oh, Deep Throat. Good. Yeah, yeah. So... Dear listener, thanks for hanging in with us and we will talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Bye now. See you guys. I've just listened to your podcast about private schools and I must say I'm appalled. If we don't continue to fund private schools, we won't have an audience for the ballet or for the opera. I mean, who will play polo and rugby? Where would we be without rugby? What are you thinking, man? Fist? Gloves? You two have not experienced horror until you have experienced the full weight of a hard bottom crushing you. Fist, glove, hard bottom here. I've just been listening to your Chris Lambie and the New Creation Church podcast. Um, do a Google search on land and hard bottom. (laughs) Yes, Gerald, what's that you're saying? You're doing a Google search? Well, yes, I know it could be me, but it's not me. Well, of course it's not me. Lots of people have a tattoo of a boot on the throat of the working man. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, it's not me, Cheryl. Well, Cheryl... Cheryl, don't, no. 
Oh, not my John Howard commemorative shot glasses. Oh, come on now. Cheryl, Cheryl, it's not smart. It's art. It's art, Cheryl. It's, it's art. Oh, fist, glove, twelfth man. You've just made it to the top of the hard bottom shit list. Well, dear listener. Did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think is a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe... You really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.